This week on Erotic Awakening, The Dominance Handbook. Welcome to Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. Busy show today. It looks like it. First off, uh, I want to tell you what's coming up, and that's okay. going to be we're going to have a we're going to talk about what I would put in my Dom's handbook. Oh yeah. Last week we talked about your fetishes and what mm-hmm. kind of slutty activity you get into, <laughs> and this week we're going to talk about what I would put in my dominance handbook, and I think that sounds fair. Okay, sounds fair, but does that mean I don't get to read it? Exactly. It is a, a top <laughs> secret unless you decide you want to switch sometime, in which case maybe I'll let you peek at it. Okay. <laughs> We're also going to be interviewing Gigi, an intersex author who has just published not too long ago a book called The Dominance Handbook. Nice. Which is where we stole the title for this show from. <laughs> And we're also going to hear from Sarah Sloan. In her 69 seconds, she's going to address what she would put in her Dom's handbook. Oh. And I found it rather surprising, but a very good pick that she chose to uh, make sure that it's in a dominance handbook. Okay. What's in a dominance handbook? You'll have to listen to the show oh. and find out. Okay. Also, though, before we get into that, we have a couple other things I want to take care of real quick. Okay. First off, we got listener comments about show number 62. Do you remember show 62? I do. I remember show number 62. So that's the toy party one? That was about sex, sex toys. toys. And uh, Sarah came on and talked to us about love you parties. And, about, mm-hmm. and we talked about sex toys and double-headed alien dildos and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, so it actually convinced me to have a... I convinced me to have a toy have her come out and do a toy party for us as well. Yep, you did indeed. The uh, comment on that show was that the show felt a little commercial. Oh. So not all of our comments are intended to be wonderful. Right. And if that show felt... And it it just so happens that it was one of our longtime listeners, somebody that we know Mm -hmm. listens to the show consistently and we know personally. And it's great to hear that kind of feedback as well, the kind of feedback that says, you know, that didn't you know I, I we love the glowing comments right but right. we also love any kind of honest feedback people have so that was great well, mm-hmm. well we ask for the same thing when we do our presentations we're like you know let us know if something doesn't feel right and we'll look at it because we can change things up a little bit not a big deal and then we also got this listener comment as well okay hi dan and don i've been listening to the show for a couple of months now and uh decided it was time I gave you guys a call. My name's Jody. I am a bisexual male in a polyamorous relationship, and I very much enjoyed and, in fact, have gotten quite a bit of use out of your podcast. And if you want to hear the rest of that, I'll put it at the end of the show. It was a very nice, very glowing sort of comment, and we very much appreciate that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, again, this we're not doing this show particularly to make a big profit and actually it's, <laughs> it's more profit. of a it's more of a money sink <laughs> exactly. than anything else but you know hearing the occasional comments like that is always very positive for us unless people know that you know there's other people like us out there is mm-hmm. one of the big things for us i was doing the happy dance 
You were. someone called into the voicemail. He was like, yay. And then someone else called into the voicemail as well. And actually, they uh, responded to our question from last week. We had a question regarding, were you, are you born kinky or mm-hmm. are you made kinky? I remember that. And they called in and they said this. Hi, Dan and Dawn. It's the Cave Babe up in Cleveland. And I guess all the cool people are calling and leaving messages, so I thought I would too. Actually, I just wanted to call because to keep you guys from bitching about how people never call. So, um, actually, uh, just wanted to comment on the born versus made in Kinky. I love this question. I've had this talk a couple of times, and I know for me, I think I was born this way. I remember having fantasies for as long as I can remember. I was always the one being tied up. I was always on the bottom. This is just who I was, uh, no matter how long I tried to deny it. So, Others have other opinions, but that was mine. Talk to you later. Bye. So that's what we got from a a view of feedback from the previous show and shows before that. So if you want to hear your voice on the podcast, you need to call in as well. And and specifically, what we'd like is for people that we have this new segment called Question of the Day. Right. So if you have a question, call in with your question and we will answer that. This week, by the way, we are doing a Question of the Day and... Mm -hmm. We'll get to that in just a moment. <laughs> Before we get there, I wanted to mention that you and I are indeed running for the Master Slave Contest Great Lakes Leather Lions 2010. It's feeling a little scary. <laughs> it's interesting. Yes. You know, um, and, it's, and it's a great honor to even be allowed to run for and to be the representation of Master Slave mm-hmm. for the Great Lakes uh, Leather Lions and for the area. And... Um, yeah, it's just very, very humbling yes. to be given that opportunity, you know. And I think some of our listeners might feel that we make good representations for the master slave community. I hope so, at least. Matter of fact, if all of our listeners, all four of you, come to <laughs> GLLA in August, then you could vote for us too. I don't really know how the whole contest voting works, but that would work. But it, I, it would be I, nice to have a fan club there. It would. It? So, and I totally agree about um, humbling, very much so. So. Um, yeah, this isn't a shoe-in, you know? Oh, we'll yeah. have competition. Absolutely. But it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. be an interesting experience for nothing else. And if you're interested in that kind of stuff, oh, listeners, then we'll keep you updated as it goes along. Next step in our um, journey of becoming Master Slave GL of the Great Lakes Leather Lions mm-hmm. 2010 right. is uh, we've already written a letter saying we'd like to run, and that's taken care of. Now we have to gather a basket. We do. We have to put together a travel basket. And what this is, is um, we can't add anything to this basket. It has to be all donations from people that are supporting us. And then we donate this basket to the auction that happens at GLLA. Can I put all the old podcast equipment in there? No, it can't come from us. <laughs> so, and then we donate this basket, and they auction it off. Everybody that's in the contest, whether you know you win or lose or whatever, everybody donates um, these baskets. They auction them off to the highest bidder, and then all the money goes into the travel funds for the people that do win the contest. You know what I'm, I think I'm going to do? I think next week or maybe the week after that, I'm going to hit up our podcast listeners. So I'm always saying we don't want donations. We don't mm-hmm. want donations. I think I'll say we want donations, and specifically not cash, or but right. things we can put in this travel basket. And we'll explain more what that's like, but wouldn't it be neat if our, one of our listeners from Texas and listeners from California and listeners from Denmark sent us stuff to right. put in this travel basket? It would be a good representation of what we're trying to 
show how we how we are perceived as master slaves and right. you know that we have a little bit of a reach and just a little bit it probably make us feel good for our listeners to say we support you in this oh that would be awesome it'd be very different than everybody else's and we like different yes <laughs> enough of that for this week though okay. uh what else to oh you know what so uh lately we kept saying we keep saying how much we uh Oh, it's nice and slow. Things are calmed down. <laughs> We're not doing a lot right now. We've been relaxing a little bit. We actually had a weekend home where we just sat home last weekend and just chilled. So, it was awesome. And, and it was awesome. But I really, I had thought that we really didn't have a whole lot coming up. No, I looked at the calendar today. <laughs> yes. If you go out to the Erotic Awakening website and mm-hmm. you go to About Dan and Dawn, you'll see, and scroll down a little bit, You'll see where we'll be presenting it, and I finally I said, "Let's." I better put it all on the web page, and right. we're pretty damn busy, actually. <laughs> I think right now we have ten events that we're scheduled to uh, attend, or I'm sorry, to present, and another right. couple that we're scheduled to attend. So, mm-hmm. and uh, that's between what, like now and probably February. No, and uh, uh, you know what, the calendar actually reaches out about a full calendar year. Okay, all right, so. It's not like it's between now and December. No, but no it's not like it's this month. Yeah. But, but we have a lot of stuff coming up. I think the uh, one of the things you'll notice is the Scarlet Sanctuary on there. Mm-hmm. And that is a one-of-a-kind sort of event. Uh, or, I'm sorry, one-of-a-kind sort of... Space that we set Space, up thank you. Within, you know, a You've normal... You've been getting a little confused. I was. <laughs> but because it's not a video podcast, no one would have known that. Sorry. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> Um, Scarlet Sanctuary in the middle of a big BDSM event. Mm-hmm. And, you know, granted, I'm going to plug our one of our sponsors, Adventures in Sexuality. Right. They uh, set us up at the upcoming COPE event in September. We'll be setting up the Scarlet Sanctuary within there. So if you're thinking that the whole BDSM and being smacked around with leather and tied up and okay, isn't your thing, unlike Dawn. But you would like to experience some of the sacred sexuality aspect of it. Then there's mm-hmm. going to be something at that event for you there as well. Erotic Awakening is sponsored in part by Adventures in Sexuality, Central Ohio's kinky fun group. Find out more at adventuresinsexuality.org. And thus, thus is the little promo bump we just ran. Nice. So the question of the day... This time around is, what do you look for in a mentor? Somebody clumsy, obviously, as I <laughs> pound things around. You know, it's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, I am currently mentoring two people. Now, first off, we have to start off by what is a mentor, right? What is a mentor to us? To us. And we've done this in the podcast before, so we won't dwell on that a lot. To be short about it then, we are talking about peer mentoring. We're talking about the idea of, you know, if you want to be a great stewardess, then Mm -hmm. the way to do that is... Is by talking to more experienced stewardesses. Right. And you don't go talking to the co-pilot of the airplane. They They should be (laughs) mentoring other co-pilots. Right. And and (laughs) hopefully flying the plane as well. Right. But... um, so our idea of mentoring is it's, it's a peer mentoring sort of thing. Now, some exactly. people use mentoring as a, I am a dominant and I'm going to mentor submissives. And we won't start that tirade. That's not what we're talking about. I think that's a different form of using the word than what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Right. 
So what we're talking about is peer mentorship. So what do you look for in a mentor? So I have had the opportunity to be uh, mentored by a couple different people, and I have had uh, the opportunity to mentor a couple people. And either way, it's a wonderful experience mm-hmm. and a very much a growing and learning experience, both to mentor people and to be mentored. And if what I think of when I think of mentoring is... Um, it's somebody who's been there, done that, right, and has that experience. I mean, it's wonderful to sit around and read in a book or talk on FetLife. You know, what do you do if you are the master in a household, but you get fired, mm-hmm. and your slave still has a forty-an-hour job a week? Who changes the cat litter? I mean, right, right, things like that. What I look for in a mentor then is somebody that's my their life is like mine to mm-hmm. some extent, right, right. Um, Meaning that they're going to be able to relate to some of the things that I talk about, right? Mm-hmm. If I have a, you know, if my mentor is somebody who lives in the desert in a yurt, you <laughs> know, and is a shaman and lives off the land and all that oh, kind of stuff, wonderful. Right. But, you know, when I have to talk about, oh, I got, you know, this, uh, how do I balance having a 40-hour-a-week job and still being a good master mm-hmm. and, you know, blah, 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 corporate, blah, blah, blah. Right. I don't know how effective that's necessarily going to be all the time. doesn't mean the person I'm looking for to mentor me has to have the same job, or but has a general idea, a general understanding of my life, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things I look for in a mentor I want to go to their house. I yes. want to see how they live. I, I want to look around. the same thing. Are they... And I don't mean to be diskind about this, but, well, fuck it. <laughs> this is my opinion. <laughs> I'm not telling you you're right or wrong. I'm telling you my opinion. If I go over to your house and you're a slob and you've got underwear laying around and there's <laughs> half-eaten cookies under the couch and you're just kind of a, you know, you're not taking care of keeping things in order. And I'm not right. saying spick and span. I mean, our place ain't spick and span. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time cleaning this place. And you do a wonderful job of cleaning this place. But, uh, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, that you'll never find a pen laying out of order or that the top shelf that you've never looked at needs dusting. I'm not talking about obsessive, crazy cleaning. (laughs) But if so, one of the things I look for in a mentor is you got to have your shit in order. Right. right, and part of the way you tell if somebody's mind is in order is when you go to their house. If their hoard, their house is totally disorganized and they're totally disordered, that to me tells me something that about the characteristics of that person. Right. What do you look for in a mentor? What do I look for? Um, some of the stuff that you look for. Um, to me, just with what you were saying, you know, a cluttered place to me, represents a cluttered mind. Mm -hmm. So that would be something. Um, How, let's say I was looking for an MS mentor. You know, it would be how their relationship, you know, how they do in a relationship or how the slave does, you know, trying to see them out in public and things like that. Um, Because I want to find someone that I want to emulate. Exactly. Right. Not completely emulate. You know, I don't want to be exactly like them, but I want them to have qualities that I want to incorporate into my life. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's a biggie for me. Another one is is that I don't want someone that thinks their way is the only way. I would like to be told this is my experience. 
You know, this is what worked for me, right. but there could be other options out there. Sure, sure. Or someone that is okay and um, doesn't have a lot of attachment to their ego. So if they can't answer a question, maybe they can point me to someone, someone who can. Mm-hmm. So, and they're not all wrapped up in having the answer. You know, an- another thing that I look for is I want somebody who's generally, in general, joyful. Mm-hmm. They're in generally, they're happy. You see them smile a lot, right? Yes. Uh, I think that this lifestyle that we've chosen should be a joyful lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I want somebody that's maybe read some books, but that has experiential yes. knowledge. You know, so. So, and well, I was going to say joyful as well. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody that's happy. But um, I was also going to say someone that calls me on my shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to have someone that calls me on my shit. You know, a, a friend might give you a hug. Mm-hmm. When you're uh, sitting in your pity pot, and yeah. I, I want my mentor to kick me in the ass and say, yeah. "Okay, you sat in your shit long enough. Uh-huh. You know, right? Are, are, you, are you done yet and ready to get back to work? <laughs> Let's get back to work." <laughs> so that was the question of the day segment. Went a little longer than we normally go. If you would like your question of the day, be our question of the day. Well, the easiest way would be, well, there's a lot of easy ways. We're easy to stalk. So <laughs> the first way is by email. Dan Dawn at eroticawakening.com. Ha, mm-hmm. I stepped right on your line there, didn't I? <laughs> yes. We also have the got comment form. On the webpage. Oh, sneaky. <laughs> Facebook. Erotic. Hey, erotic awakening. One word. <laughs> Voicemail 206-309-0054. Hey, I like that one. FetLife. Erotic Awakening, two and, words. And via Twitter, <laughs> Dan and Dawn. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Sloan, and this week's 69 Seconds is my contribution to the Dom's Handbook. One thing that I think some dominants don't realize is one of the most powerful tools at their disposal is compassion. A lot of times, we as dominants end up working with submissives who are dealing with self-esteem issues or who have had poor relationship breakups in the past or who may even just be feeling unsure about what their next steps are going to be. And rather than trying to railroad them by giving them lots and lots of rules and holding them responsible for tons of stuff, it is within our power to create really positive change for these folks by offering them our compassion and giving them a little bit of guidance on how they can take forward steps in their lives without damaging what they already have is an incredible gift that a dominant can give. Reacting with compassion when things aren't exactly the way we want them to be or when the people who look up to us are in need of compassion and acceptance can be a wonderful gift that we can give them that they then can move forward in their lives to give to other people. Sarah Sloan comes to us courtesy of Love You Parties. She will be attending and presenting Mindfucks at Black Rose on Tuesday, which may be the day that I post this, so you might have to be there right now already to hear this. <laughs> but if you're not there, at, she will be uh, presenting at Kink for All in Washington, D.C. on June 12th and at Cuff in Charlottesville, VA on 613 on Sunday for an advanced needle play demo. Advanced needle play. (laughs) 
So, Dan, yes. what would you put in your dominance handbook? Wouldn't you like to know? But I'm going to yes. tell you. <laughs> Do I like some of it to be a secret? So we have to start off by defining the word dominant in the context of what we're discussing today. Okay. Now, when, we, when I uh, talked to Gigi and I read her book, The Dominance Handbook, she was had quite the coverage all over the place and you know variety of different aspects right right so are we talking about when we ask dan the question the dominant handbook for play for scening or the dominance handbook for lifestyle for Ooh. power exchange relationships good question to me those are two totally different things absolutely and one of the things i personally find uh annoying <laughs> is i was trying to find a better word than that but fucking just other than and i, I didn't say a, fucking pisses me off so no, but you're in a fuck it type of mood tonight uh, so apparently. that works <laughs> maybe that'll work for you later Ooh, uh-huh. yay. <laughs> one of the things that i find a little annoying is that the word dominant has become this dual meaning word mm-hmm. where you can say i am a dominant in the lifestyle and it impacts it reflects the fact that you're good with a flogger or i am a dominant in a lifestyle and uh, it means that I'm in a power exchange relationship. So you'll just have to get your own definition as you go. And for everyone listening to this, half the people think one thing, half the people think something right, else, and right. the other half the people think a third thing altogether. <laughs> so I'll answer both questions. For okay. me, a dominant from a perspective of topping, right? right? I mean, not only in my handbook, I would say, all right, you got to have the toys but have two groups of toys in your hand in your bag, right? Okay. And I'm not saying soft and stingy or thuddy or bloodletting or whatever, <laughs> right? I like to have toys that I just think are a good idea to grab as I'm packing my bag. Say, oh, I haven't played with this in a while. I haven't played with this in a while. I haven't played with this in a while. I'll put right. those in. There's my one grouping of toys. Okay. My second grouping of toys are the same flogger and the same paddle and the same rope that I always take with me, mm. right? Mm-hmm. These are toys that I have. And Lee Harrington talks about this in Lee's new book. Sacred Kink? Sacred Kink, mm-hmm. about bonding with your toys. And I'm not going to try and quote Lee because Lee does a much better job of speaking for himself. But bonding with certain toys. There's certain toys that I know I know with right. my eyes closed, I can play with these particular floggers or this particular paddle, literally. I'm not recommending this. Don't try no. this at home. But I can literally play with these toys with my eyes closed. And you and I do this crazy mm-hmm. thing on occasion where I put on the blindfold. Yes. Again, caveat, don't try this at home. No, but, but I, I think part of what you're trying to express or that I see is that these toys take on an energy and a personality of their own. And I would expect if you've reached into the bag looking for that specific toy that even with your eyes closed, you'd be able to find it just from mm-hmm. how it feels, mm-hmm. just from using it over and over again. Yep. So if you are a uh, new to being a dominant and you want to start get your start right, mm-hmm. I would recommend you go out there, buy a flogger, buy a paddle, whatever, buy a toy and carry that with you all the time. Sleep with it. Stroke it. Love it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, well, you don't have to love it. That's Don's advice, not mine. But become, you know, very, very intimate and familiar with one particular toy. 
And whenever you're getting a little fuzzy or a little unsure, you fall back to that toy. And that's what I do. I have some particular toys that if a scene isn't clicking for me, it's not moving in the direction I want to move mm-hmm. or something, you know, the music's off, whatever it is, I fall back to those toys. So there's part one for the dominance handbook for a top. That's what I'll have in my dominance handbook. Awesome. Now, the dominance handbook from a power exchange aspect. Very interesting there. What, you know, I mean, we're going to go on and on about the 20 things I could put in there, right? Right. Sarah started by talking about compassion, and that certainly has a place in my dominance handbook. Discipline has a place. Um, Being true to your word, integrity, Mm. honor. Very important. Growth, all this kind of stuff, right? All very important parts of my dominance handbook. That's what us submissives and slaves look for in a dominant master, too. So that's a good idea. The one thing, though, that I'm going to key on for this podcast, though, that I'm going to put in my dominance handbook is responsibility. Ooh. This is, and we go back to the question of the day, what do you look for in a mentor? Yes. What I, one of the things I look for in a mentor it, from a power exchange relationship is, are they responsible for the people they say they're responsible for? Yes. If they put a collar on someone, do they not only claim that person, but they claim responsibility for that person? You know, and this has always been one of my big things. This is the part where you go from being a dominant to being a master, in my yes. opinion, is where you gain this and accept this level of responsibility for the person that you're claiming to have as your slave or submissive or whatever word you Mm -hmm. want to use. You know, I can remember years ago when you did not want to use the name master. And, you know, and I told a a dom a friend of ours, you Mm -hmm. know, she's like, well, why doesn't Dan use the name master? And I'm like, you know, he doesn't feel comfortable with it. And she looks at me before she talked to you (laughs) and said, but he takes responsibility for a slave. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes him a master. And, and it was just as simple as that. Yeah, and uh, I think you could, we could have a different podcast on what makes a master. Yes. But I certainly agree with you. Responsibility is one of those huge things. When I see somebody at a play party, I see somebody in whatever situation, a munch, whatever lifestyle situation, um, you see that bond yes. between dom and sub, master, slave, dom, a, submissive, whatever terminology we're going to use today. And that bond is one of the, the things that you use to forge that bond is that acceptance of responsibility, mm-hmm. right? And from the submissive standpoints, and maybe we'll have a submissive handbook one day, it's right. giving that responsibility away. You know, we crave surrender. Mm-hmm. That is one of the things we crave. And how can we surrender if the other person doesn't do the other side of that, which is take responsibility for the one surrendering. Yep. That's the balance. We could go on and on about the things that go in a dominance handbook, the things that are important to being a dominant. And fortunately for us, Gigi has already Yay. covered many of those things in the book, <laughs> The Dominance Handbook. We're sitting here tonight with our intersex educator, Gigi, who in Houston, Texas, is the author of The Dominance Handbook and other articles, as well as the host of the radio show, what did you say it was called? The Sacred Sexuality Hour? Uh, well, I do this. That's my segment. It's on After Hours, Queer Radio with Attitude. Ah, very nice. Cool. <laughs> very cool. And they do and many different segments. I'm on once a month, 
and then uh, they have a youth, queer youth show. They've got a BDSM show. They've got a lesbian show, and then all different kinds of segments on that show. Nice. Very cool. And we know you from one of the many of the uh, groups that we're on, one of the sacred sexuality groups, uh, Class USA. And you had mentioned you had just come out with the Dominance Handbook and were kind enough to loan me a copy. And I said, wow, we got to get you on the show and talk about this stuff. Yeah. But let me start with this one. So do Dominance really need a handbook? Do they need to actually read anything? Can I just grab a flogger and start swinging? Well, you know, uh, I've been to a lot of play parties where people have done just that. And, you know, when you get into BDSM, you're getting into a lot of things that, especially when you get really deep into some of the more esoteric forms of play, uh, safety becomes a really big concern. And so you want to be knowledgeable about what you're doing. And I'm looking at the contents here. There's actually a lot of topics I'd be interested in. Um, I'm glancing at this for the first time because it's a dominance handbook, and Dan didn't want me to get any ideas. <laughs> so, yeah. This is awesome, though. I mean, there's um, what, exploring BDSM. There's emotional edge play training, um, body image training, ooh, yeah. a lot of training, all kinds of nice stuff. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. So it looks like that you're covering a lot more than the basic grab a flogger or grab a bullwhip and start swinging. Right. You have all your things like the psychological aspects, the erotic touch. Is that stuff really important to, to, to a new and up-and-coming dominant? I believe so because, you know, one thing I've seen is that, and I've been to many workshops, and one of the things they always kind of – do in BDSM, they cover physical safety, but they rarely cover psychological safety. They usually say, well, just try not to hit any emotional landmines and set someone off. But a lot of times in play, you're playing with more than just physical play. You're playing with being a dominant uh, on a psychological level as well as a physical level. And so understanding some psychological dynamics helps build in that safety protocol from a psychological perspective. Well, I absolutely agree on that. I mean, you know, some people think BDSM is all about the techniques, you know, of the physical part, and they get thrown for a loop when the emotional or the psychological part rears its head. Yeah. And I've been and seen, you know, I've been at play parties where someone went off emotionally and um, mm -hmm. nobody knew what to do and I'd step in and say here come with me let's go in another room and talk for a little while and I'd get them calmed down but nobody else but I have training in my background from um, psychotherapy right and so you know I know how to handle these things and I you know I just kind of started thinking one day you know this information should be out there and in a, you know, non-professional -jarg jargon, kind of easy-to-read handbook. Mm -hmm. So that if an intervent, I mean, if a crisis situation popped up, people could deal with it. Right. And I see you've got on here crisis intervention training. Yeah. 
And not only is it crisis intervention, but also uh, go into some techniques on how to avoid a crisis from coming up to begin with, things you can do to help ensure that a crisis won't happen. But if it does, it also covers the steps on how to deal with the crisis and how to identify what a crisis is. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of stuff important for all dominants or just ones that want to get into um, to mind fucks and mind games and that kind of stuff? I think it's important for all dominants because most people eventually get to play parties. And when you get into a play party scene and there's a lot of people that aren't in the know, then if you know what to do when something comes up, you're, you have the tools to work with it. And I think that's one of the problems I've seen in the BDSM community is that a lot of people just don't have the tools to work with the psychological situations. Right, and I know we've been kind of lucky, so because um, you know, not even being not even being out in the public, but even when we've played me and Dan privately, you know, there's been a couple of things that have happened that we didn't even know was gonna you know trigger me or whatever. Yeah, so sometimes. Dan's Mm-hmm. With Dan's background, he was able to handle that. But if he yeah. was someone that didn't, it would have been a mess. Yeah, and one of the things that people aren't aware of is that, you know, as young children, often we go into uh, a trauma situation for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And then as we grow older, we kind of put that in the background and forget about it. And then we right. get into a scene and something happens in the scene that triggers that earlier experience. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's not even the Dom's fault that things got out of hand. They just accidentally hit a trigger that nobody was aware of, even the sub. Mm -hmm. Well, or the sub thinks they've done enough work and nothing's going to happen, and it does. Right. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of the things that you uh, talk about, in the book, and so far you talked about, well, when, when the bottom, when the submissive has some kind of a crisis, how do I step in? But you seem to put a lot of energy into self-development in the book as well. Oh, yeah, definitely, because I think being a dom is more than just picking up a flogger. It's having the headspace, the attitude, the, the being able to carry yourself as a dom, and all of that is psychological work. And, you know, a dom that doesn't feel good about their body, has poor body image, they're going to come into the scene and it's going to show. So if you work through body image healing and become very comfortable with your own body and carry your body well, it's going to show in a scene. Mm-hmm. How, do, how, how do I get started? If I'm listening to the podcast or I've just heard of stories or, you know, I've, I've heard of these events and I feel like I'm a, I would make a good top or I'd make a good dominant. How do you get started? What's the first thing they should do? I think the first thing is to read the domination training overview in this book. It kind of gives the guidelines on how to set up a scene, all the different parts of a scene. Because when you go to a play party and you see a scene, you're just seeing what's at the surface. You're not seeing all the stuff that people did ahead of time, and you're not seeing some of the aftercare that takes place sometimes a day or two after the scene. Very true. Very true. 
And so that's one of the illusions when you go to a play party is that, oh, this looks so easy. But that's because people do their homework, they do their groundwork ahead of time and then after the scene. I know a, a new dominant that we've come across recently, or Dame, she's like, okay, I've found one. I've got a submissive. Now, <laughs> what, what, what do I do with him? <laughs> uh -huh. And that's also partly why I got into some of the other forms of play that a lot of times aren't covered in BDSM books. Things like emotional edge play, uh, dominant role play training, which is all how to work with the dominant headspace. And then humiliation play training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I remember correctly, you make a distinction between humiliation play and degradation. Yeah, I look at degradation as going a little deeper than just humiliation. It's a very subtle difference. When you get into humiliation, um, it's basically kind of this you're humiliating the person. When you get into de degradation, you're having the person do things that are degrading to themselves, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think it does. Do you have an example, though? Uh, I think one example would be uh, you have a person that, like, training their sub as a little puppy, Mm -hmm. And the puppy was given orders and was humiliated during the scene. But then the dom also required that the puppy carry on puppy-like behaviors and was ordered to go and sniff people's butts and during the play party, whether they wanted to or not, and then be punished for it and humiliated for that action. Well, I'd say going up and sniffing someone's butt is getting into degradation, whereas mm -hmm. humiliation, yeah, huh? Whereas the humiliation was what the dom was kind of doing to the sub. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you've got a section in, in here about erotic touch. Now, that's not one that in normal situations, in normal scenes that we see. Now, we, we're, Dawn and I are, are the exception to the world. We're strange, without a doubt. <laughs> and we actually run a, what we call the Scarlet Sanctuary, which yeah. is an erotic touch section in some of the local events that we go to. And until I read your section on erotic touch, I didn't think anybody else was really hip to the idea of erotic, the importance of erotic touch in a BDSM environment. So how did you come across finding that erotic touch was important in a BDSM environment? Well, when I was a child, I used to get beaten by my father. And early on, I realized that that was a sexual experience. Maybe not consciously, but it was affecting me sexually. Um, you know, it wasn't that I got a heart on or anything, but later on, there's this kind of psychosexual dynamic going on with spanking. And I realize, okay, there's some unseen forces going on here that even getting in with a flogger and flogging someone is transferring some type of psychosexual dynamic. And 
part of that thing, what makes a really good pro dom is, or a good dom is someone that's understanding of the erotic side and can incorporate that eroticism into their play, even though it's not overtly erotic. Does that kind of make sense? Makes sense to us. Just looking through some of the chapters of the book, some of the stuff that the uh, training exercises that you have in here, we, we talk about CBT and caning and flogging and just all kinds of different stuff. Oh, yeah. But, but let's, get, let's get it real here. What can <laughs> I really do with a book? How, what is this book? Really, is this book going to teach me how to wield a flogger? Is it going to teach me how to do mind fucks? Oh, yeah, because in the book I have exercises to do. Uh, in fact, on the on my own cock and ball torture device that I created, I have the plans on how to make one in the book. Oh. So if you're interested in doing CBT and you have access to some woodworking tools, you can create this device. Um, and it's a CBT, yeah. <laughs> huh? And access to C and B. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, well, I love, I love the idea of um, the exercises. Yeah. And oh. partly it's, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, flogging looks easy. I can pick up a flogger and just go to town. Well, there mm-hmm. is an art to flogging. And it takes practice and it is a skill that can be developed. And so I give flogging exercises to build your skills in flogging. Mm-hmm. I know we spent some time with a towel across the back of my neck while, you know, many years ago while Dan was learning how to flog, you know, just little little things to keep the bottom safe. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Mitch, there's a lot of books out there on BDSM and BDSM basics. What brought you to say, you know what, I need to write one as well. I need to get some information out there. Is, is your book significantly different from everything else we find out there, or do you come from a different place with it? I think because I do address the psychological, and I've never seen that out there in a book, especially okay. the psychological safety and how to work with the headspace. Uh, a lot of the books out there deal with the physical aspects, but don't really get into the uh, emotional and the psychological and the psychosexual dynamics. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what we found, too. And so if I wanted to find out more about this book or about you, what would I do? Um, well, I have a website where you can get the book, and it's got some information about the book at the website. It's called MyRavenslayer.com, and that's M-Y-R-A-V-E-N-S-L-A-I-R.com. Okay, MyRavenslayer.com. Very cool. We're pulling it up right now. And I also have a website on the sacred sex temple I run in the pagan community. Really? Yeah. I would be really interested in that website. And it and it's basically I just changed it. It's mostly information, sexual uh-huh. education. Um, and it is called the website for that is similar. 
it's um, let me get it just so that I don't make a mistake here. Okay. Um, let's see. I have to go to here. Um, one second. Okay. It is Raven's Lair Leather dot com. Raven's Lair Leather. Ravenslayer Leather, R-A-V-E-N-S-L-A-I-R-L-E-A-T-H-E-R. Very cool. And that's that on sense. Aphrodite's Temple. <laughs> nice. Is it connected with any other Aphrodite's Temple? Uh, no, but I've been in contact a lot with Anara out of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. We're familiar with Anara. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I also run the Aphrodite's Temple at um, our regional Burning Man, which is called Flipside. Mm-hmm. So I take Temple up there once a year. Sweet, sweet. Well, very cool. Well, Gigi, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, I've just gotten halfway through the book myself, and there's just tons of great stuff in there. And I think it's great that somebody's out there doing a little education that's um, you know, being a being a dominant is much more than just a, a skill of being able to swing a paddle or understanding some rope work. And uh, I really like the fact that you're you're mixing in a spiritual and a psychosexual aspect in there as well. Mm-hmm. One other section I would like to briefly mention before we uh, end this is I do have a section on breaking taboo. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really important, too, because in our society, we have so many taboos, uh, everything from anal play to you name it. And <laughs> so I, I think one thing that really helps make a good dom is a dom that's faced some of their fears with taboos and has worked through that so that, like I say, more in a public situation if they run into a form of play that they haven't seen much before, um, they're kind of prepared and ready to embrace it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I know I've certainly run into, and, and, you know, Dawn and I are very fortunate. We've gotten to a few events, and we've seen a lot of stuff. And I will be freely admit there are occasions I'll walk into an event and I'll see something that makes me go, ew. Yeah. Yeah, and not necessarily from a perspective of, ew, icky, but a perspective of that's just something more than, you know, that's something, it, it's a taboo for me that's, that's pushing me the wrong way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that section up. It, it sounds like that even a guy perhaps that's been around for a little while, a dominant like myself, um, would get a lot of value out of this book as well. Oh, yeah. In fact, I wrote the books. Primarily to help introduce people, but I also built in some pretty advanced stuff into the book. So it takes you from, you know, it takes someone that's never had any experience with BDSM or people that have had a lot of experience can get something out of this. Uh, Well, even, I'm looking at some of these subjects, though, and even as a submissive, I'm and a couple of things that I, I might enjoy myself. I don't need to know the technical, you know, how to do things, but I'm liking some of the other stuff. 
Oh, good. And I think, especially on developing headspace and, or, I mean, self-development, right. I think self-development really would go well for a sub. Because yep, that's what I was looking at. helps them overcome some of the body image and um, also, you know, Carol Queen is one of my big admirers from way back, and she wrote a book once called Exhibitionism for the Shine. Well, in, in self-development, I referred to that book. In fact, it's required reading as part of the one of the exercises, um, just so that you can, because as a sub, at a play party, you're being put on display. And if mm -hmm. you have feelings like, oh, I don't want people to see me, that's going to come across, too, in your scene. Yep, absolutely. And so cool. working through some of these issues can be very beneficial for a sub. Totally agree. Okay, very cool. Again, the, the website is myravenslair.com. The book is a do The Dominance Handbook, an Intimate Guide to BDSM Play. Gigi, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, and hopefully we'll make it out to Houston one day and we can thank you in person. Oh, that'd be great. And thanks for having me on the show. It's been a good – I can't believe the half hour already went by. <laughs> oh, believe me, it was our pleasure. Now, I just uh, was looking at one of these chapters on how to uh, do a particular style of play. So, Dawn, if you could get bent over, we'll do a little home study. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like fun. Coming up next week. Swinging. Ooh. Finally. Chicky chicky pow pow. <laughs> Brown chicken pow cow. <laughs> Hi, Dan and Don. I've been listening to the show for a couple of months now and uh, decided it was time I gave you guys a call. My name's Jody. I am a bisexual male in a polyamorous relationship. And I very much enjoyed, and in fact, have gotten quite a bit of use out of your podcast. Uh, I'm really enjoying the newly upgraded sound equipment. It sounds fantastic. And uh, seeing as how I thought that my player was uh, busted the first time I heard your podcast, I have to say that the uh, new one is, in fact, an improvement. Good job, guys. Have a wonderful day, and if I think of a question for you, I promise I'll call.